Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. House Rules. There's a show on television right now called House Rules. Who's watching House Rules? Do you like it? Is it a good show? Is it worth getting into? Is it one of those good ones or one of those bad ones? Is it a good one? Based upon the response, I would say, uh, don't watch House Rules. But listen to me this morning as I talk about House Rules, okay? Because it's going to be great because I believe this series is important to each and every one of us in this room today because it's about marriage and family. And what I know about marriage and family is it affects every one of us. Every one of us is influenced and affected by family. You see, your family or your lack of family shapes the way you think, you act, and you speak. Do you know that? I heard a 10-year-old kid the other day, in Australia, mind you, talking about Donald Trump. And what he had to say about Donald Trump was not pleasant and was not kind. And I'm thinking to myself, where on earth does a 10-year-old Australian boy have so many opinions about the President of the United States of America? And the conclusion I came to is family. Somewhere he is sat around a table where there are adults, maybe a mum, maybe a dad, maybe an auntie, uncle, grandparents or something that were talking about Donald Trump and he's picked up they're influenced by what he's seen and heard. And all of a sudden now, he has formulated an opinion about the American president and he's never met him. He doesn't really know him, but he's got a strong opinion about him. And I'm thinking to myself, kid, you're 10 years old. You live in Australia. Why don't you just be 10 and like football and forget about American politics. Are you with me? Have you ever met a kid who's got so many opinions because of how he's been shaped by his family and the culture in which he grew up in? Whether you have a family, whether your family is a healthy one, whether it's an unhealthy one, it will shape your world and your environment. In other words, family determines society. Family determines society. See, Carl Zimmerman wrote a book called Family and Civilization, And he spent decades studying the rise and fall of major empires of history while tracking what happened to the family units in those civilizations. And in his research, he studied 3,000 years of family life. And this Harvard professor makes a powerful case, get this, for the traditional family structure. The book can be summarised by saying this, so goes the family, so goes society. He wrote this, as we watch the destruction of the family, so we simultaneously watch the collapse of society. Now you might be thinking, oh, that's great, you're a Christian and you've got uh, another Christian to fuel your case. But this guy was a secular historian and by all accounts, he never professed to be a Christian. And he wrote the book in 1947. And this secular professor who wrote a book in 1947 presents a strong case for the traditional family structure. And I want to tell you today that that traditional family structure he referred to is a biblical family structure. You see, God has always had a plan for marriage 
and for family. Why? Because He created it in the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, if you want to turn with me or look on the screen, Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the sea, uh, sorry, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. See, God created marriage, oh, sorry, men and women. This is called to get married, to enjoy each other, and to be fruitful. He, He wanted them to be fruitful. He wanted us to get together, fall in love, get married and be fruitful, having children. And then He not only wants us to be fruitful, but He wants us to multiply. And multiplication speaks of multiplying yourself through bringing those kids on the journey of life. That we might have dominion, in other words, that we might have a positive influence in our world. We might not change the whole world, but we can influence our world. And your world right now might be at school or university. It could be in your workplace. It could be in the shopping malls. It could be in your street. Wherever you are, God wants you to have an influence. So God's plan is that man would fall in love with a woman, get married, that they would be fruitful, that they would multiply, and that they would have dominion. And this is an incredible thought. God wants us to breed little world changers. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're a world changer. changer. (laughs) Change up. You are, you're a world changer. And because this is a dedication service, in just a little while, we're going to get some families up here with some kids. I thought we'd start this two-part series, not with the marriage part, but with the parenting part in keeping with our service today. And Kath will look more specifically at marriage next week. And I'm sure she's got some stories to tell about our marriage and, and more specifically about my mistakes and my faults and how you're incredibly gracious in putting up with me, of which I'm going to say from the outset is all true. So you don't want to miss out on next week when she talks about that. But I also want to say, no matter where you're at in life, this message applies to you. Maybe you're young and you're not even married yet. Maybe you don't have a, even have a girlfriend or a boyfriend right now. That's cool because this, this is to be, to be forewarned, is to be forearmed. So, so listen up. Maybe you've got uh, your right bang smack in the middle of this. So to you, I'd say, listen up. Maybe you've got grown up kids and you're past kind of the child rearing stage. Well, your job is not done because as older members and as grandparents, uh, you have a vital part to play in creating the family unit. So I want everyone leaning in this morning and listening up because this affects all of us because as the family, so society. Are you with me today? And so we're talking about children and parenting in particular. In Proverbs 22, verse six, it says this, train a child in the way that he should go or she should go. And when they're old, they will not turn from it. The word train there, when it says train a child, it means quite literally to dedicate, which is kind of cool that we're having a dedication service of our children. To train a child means to dedicate, to to initiate. It says in a way that they should go which speaks of direction, not in a way that they want to go. Have you ever noticed kids want to do things their own way in their own time, that they want to go to bed when they want to go to bed? Our kids used to say all the time uh, at bedtime, I'm not tired. And we said, well, that's funny because I'm tired of you. Now, we would give them direction to their bedroom and say, no, go to bed. 
Train a child in the way that they should go. That's direction. And then it says that in the end, when they are old, they would not turn from it. That is destiny. In other words, this scripture is saying for our children to have a future and fulfill their destiny, they need direction. And that is going to take place from the dedicated parents and people in their world. In order for us to fulfill our destiny, it's going to take direction and dedication. In other words, we need to prepare our kids and not just care for our kids. I want you to get this. There's a lot of talk today about caring for our kids and we need to care for our kids, but not only care for our kids. We need to prepare them for the future. As parents, we're often too focused on today's happiness at the expense of tomorrow's readiness. And so I want to address the uh, issue of pairing today with a few points and then we're done and we're going to dedicate these kids and have a great time. How's that sound? And I trust that all of you will get something out of today's message. It's practical and it's simple and hopefully it's helpful for you. The first thing is when it comes uh, to understanding parenting, first thing I would say is this. Number one, love them even when you feel like killing them. Love them, write this down, this is going to help you. Love them even when you feel like killing them. See, this goes beyond parenting. This is going to help your marriage. Why? Because love is a choice. It's not an emotion. See, culture tells us that love is a feeling. And if you don't feel like you're in love anymore, then you just separate and you just give up because love's a feeling. You know, well, well culture obviously didn't have kids because, you know, uh, if you haven't had a kid that's screaming in the middle of the night and done the whole fake sleep thing, then you probably haven't been a parent yet. I remember the many times when one of our kids was crying when they were very young and, and I'd pretend to be asleep and Cass pretending to be asleep and, and we're kind of having this Mexican sleep off, you know, just, like, just we're both wide awake but we're pretending to be asleep because we just don't want to get up to the kid. I'm tired and I just want to wring its neck. We're just going to pretend to be asleep. And invariably, over the time, one of us, one of us would normally get out of bed. And, oh, I'll go in there and I'll get... I want to tell you, at that moment, the feeling we had wasn't one of love. <laughs> I didn't feel, oh, you're wonderful. I got woken up in the middle of the night when I'm really tired and I've just got to kind of put the baby to sleep. Oh, thank you, baby. I so love with you. No, love is a decision. It's a decision. Getting married, it's a decision. In sickness and in health, till death do us part, it's a decision. And thankfully, there are feelings that come with that, but we can't be led by our feelings. So we've got to love them even when you feel like killing them. <laughs> True love is a decision to love when you don't feel like it. See, God is not always thrilled with our actions. Here's a, here's a newsflash. God is not always thrilled with our actions, but He continues to love us. He always loves us, even when He's not thrilled with us. And I'm so grateful that we have a God that is not so flighty and so, not so feelings-based as we are, that His love for me is dependent upon what I do. I'm so grateful that His love is overwhelming, never-ending toward me. I'm so grateful to that. I'm so grateful that that was displayed in my life as a young man Growing up, many of you would know, having heard me over the years, 
how I appreciate my dad so much for the example that he was to me. And many of you would have heard this story, but it bears repeating. And, and for those who have never heard it, you're going to love this. Because when I was 12 years of age, something happened to me that was quite life-changing. It impacted my life and set me on a course that I'm so grateful for. Because when I was 12 years of age, I did something that I wouldn't uh, suggest anyone does, but I got caught shoplifting. I caught a, uh, stole a packet of bubble gum, and, and uh, I was with my mum. And I want to say this, if you're ever going to try shoplifting, don't do it with your mum. Not the wisest decision ever. But anyway, she was really upset with me. She uh, got me in the car, drove home, and she said these horrible words, you wait till your father gets home. And I, I, to be honest with you, I'm thinking, wait till he gets home. I don't want to ever see him again. I'm happy to never see my dad again, which is really weird because only 24 hours earlier, I couldn't wait for my dad to get home because he'd promised to go down the paddocks just down the road here and play cricket with me, which we did on most nights during the summer. And so I couldn't wait the day before to be with my dad. I couldn't wait for him to get home. But on that day, I went into hiding. I, dad, if you never come back again, I'm more than happy. It's kind of like Adam and Eve in the garden when you know, they were in the cool of the evening, they'd walk with God, but when they sinned and did the wrong thing, they went into hiding. Nothing new there. Long story short, my dad comes home and obviously senses the tension in the air. My mum makes me fess up to what I'd done wrong and I had to say that I'd been caught shoplifting. And I was a blubbering mess. The words hardly came out of my mouth. I was, <laughs> that kind of cry, that ugly cry, that horrible, snotty, yucky kind of cry. And I told Dad I had been caught shoplifting. And I clenched my behind. <laughs> and I just kind of went in that kind of, you know, just, just waiting for a reaction from my dad that would be less than pleasant. And what he did not only surprised me, but it shaped me for the rest of my life. And he looked at me, points his finger at me, says, Tony, <laughs> still bent, uh, butt clenched. He says, you should have been quicker. I'm like, wow, was not, was not expecting that. But even as a 12-year-old kid, I knew that my dad was not condoning shoplifting. But I knew that he was displaying an unconditional, overwhelming, never-ending love. And that no matter what I did as his son, would not reflect on what he thought of me. See, I, I, I did not always make my dad look like a great parent. But he never disciplined me based upon how I made him look. And he showed me the unconditional, never-ending love. Because love is the decision. Was my dad happy with my decision? No. Was there a chatting to we had after that? Yes. Was there discipline on other things? Yes. But the whole time, I sensed that he loved me. When it comes to raising our kids, we need to love them. Even when you feel like killing them. And that happens from time to time. If you haven't felt like killing your child, it's probably because you haven't had one yet. <laughs> You'll never be a better parent than before you have kids. I can promise you that. Or maybe you're just early in the peace and, and nothing's really happened yet. But I want to tell you, there comes those moments. And in those moments, I would say, choose love. Secondly, teach them the things that school doesn't. 
Can I just go into bat for all the teachers out there for just a moment? It's not the teacher's responsibility to raise your child. For all the teachers, and we have a lot of teachers in our church, for all the teachers, I'm on your side when it comes to this. You are not there to raise our children. You are there to teach them maths and English and science and all those wonderful things, you know, all those useful things. You know, algebra. I mean, we always use algebra all the time. Love it. You know, just yesterday, I sang to myself another day where I never used algebra. Who knew? I mean, like, just keep doing that, teachers. It's just amazing. But when it comes to raising our kids, don't expect your children, or sorry, your teachers to raise your children. That's on us as the parents. It's not on the Sunday school, it's not on the university, it's not on the public school, and it's not on the Christian schools. Don't, don't send your child to a Christian school thinking that they will teach them Christian ways. That is not their responsibility. It's our responsibility to teach them the things that schools do not teach them. It's interesting to me that how Jesus taught the disciples was not in a formal setting. And it's interesting to me that the 12 disciples he picked were not theologically trained disciples. He, he, he picked people that he wanted to do life with and he taught them on the job. When he was going from place to place, conversations just started to happen along the way. And he'd often say, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like, he would see trees, he would see nature, he would see the ocean, he would see the hills. And he'd use those as teaching moments to teach them something about the bigness of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God. He would use those moments. And I, I believe when it comes to formulating family and society, we need to grab what I call teaching moments. Again, when I think about my upbringing, uh, I did my apprenticeship with my dad and I learned to trade. But what I loved about what that, I, that those four years did for me was not just the trade I learned. I did the, uh, learned the, the, the dying art of sign writing. And I was amazing. I had a great teacher. I became a really good sign writer and still am for that, for just throwing it out there. <laughs> but what I learned in those four years was more than just a trade. I learned about life. As I was standing shoulder to shoulder with my dad doing a trade, we talked about the birds and the bees. I talked about him as a 15-year-old or 14-year-old. Uh, hey, Dad, I met this girl. Her name's Catherine Allen, and she's hot. <laughs> and, and I really like her, Dad. And I, and I might even more than like her. I might even really like her. You know, we had that conversation and, and I thank God that I didn't have to do those moments alone, that I could learn about life through the teaching moments. And I want to encourage all the parents out there or all the disciples out there, hey, to grab teaching moments. It's amazing how you can teach things to kids in the most random, obscure moments. I'll never forget coming to church many years ago when Mitch was just a little kid and, and we'd give them pocket money and we'd teach them how to tithe and to, to set aside money for an offering and to set aside money for saving and the rest they could spend. We did that from a very early age. And I'll never forget Mitch had a 20 cent piece in his hand which represented his tithe. He was about to put it in the offering bucket and we were in the car driving to church and there he was playing with it. And I was watching him in the rear view mirror, rear view mirror uh, watching what he was doing with it, and he was playing with it. And then he started putting on his tongue. Uh, boys, I mean, seriously. Boys, just weird. Boys are weird. Uh, and, and then, you know, he starts getting a bit more adventurous. He puts it in his mouth, and he's like, just whatever. And then all of a sudden, he went from... Uh, to, oh, oh, oh. 
And he starts choking on this 20 cent piece to stop the car, helping with that little moment and <laughs> coughs it up and what did you learn and whatever, whatever, whatever. And I never forget Kath having a, a teaching moment said, Mitch, that's what happens when you try to consume the tithe. <laughs> when my wife can be ruthless and brutal. She's just survived a near-death experience and cats. That's why we need to tithe. If you don't tithe, you're gonna, you're gonna die. It's funny, we laugh and joke, but Mitch has never forgotten that and he's tithed ever since. So, so many things happen and God wants to use those moments to teach your kids. And our kids have had so many of those moments. I was raised with teaching moments and I learned more about life outside of the classroom. I learned more about life shoulder to shoulder uh, and in small groups than just sitting in long rows. Now there is a place for education, formal education. There's a place to get together like we're doing right now. There's a place for that. But it cannot be the only place. If you think coming to church on Sunday for two hours once a week is going to be enough education for you, you're sadly mistaken. That's why we have connect groups. That's why we have smaller groups. That's why we have uh, different uh, groups and, and, and different programs we run in order to get the teaching that is required into people's hearts and lives. So show them, uh, sorry, so teach them the things that school doesn't teach them. Number three, is this helpful? Yeah. Show them that you're not a hypocrite. Show them you're not a hypocrite because no one likes a hypocrite. You've got to show them. In other words, what you do is more important than what you say. Nothing exasperates a child more than hypocrisy. When we say one thing but do another, you've got to show them what the love of God looks like. Again, I'm so grateful for the upbringing that I had because my dad showed me what the love of God looked like. When I was a young kid and uh, I was playing soccer and my soccer went from Saturday to Sunday, my dad stopped coming to watch me on Sundays because he went to church. And that may seem brutal, it may seem harsh, but I want to tell you what it did for me. It's, it, it showed me that God was, that my, it showed me that dad was serious about his relationship with God. And I know me well enough to know that if my dad had just kind of gone along to soccer, I would have called him on it and it would have watered down and weakened his stance that he made when he said, God is my everything. I put God first. But by putting God first and showing what God's love looks like, I was able to make a decision to follow in his footsteps. You've got to show them. And as parents, we're not always going to get it right. We're going to make mistakes. So we've got to show them what apologies look like. We're not going to always get it right as parents. In actual fact, it's going to be a freeing day when the kids wake up to the fact that mum and dad were just guessing most of the time in how to raise kids. We make mistakes. I've made many mistakes as a parent. I've made many mistakes as a pastor. But what I love about the redemptive nature of God is that through us apologising, owning our mistakes, asking for forgiveness, the redemptive nature of God comes and, and cleanses and heals and actually uses what the devil intended to harm the family and brings it closer together. Another classic Tony Rainbow story I've told many times around the world and in this church, but bears repeating for the sake of this illustration, uh, point, is the notorious Bondi moment that I had about 10 years ago. We was on holiday in Sydney and went to Bondi Beach. and It was very early in the piece. I hadn't kind of wound down yet. I hadn't quite relaxed yet. And so then a second day of a holiday, went to Bondi Beach, got all the gear out of the car. And when you got kids, the thing they didn't prepare me for when you got kids is all the junk. Kids equal junk. 
And so you grab everything. We're going like, 10 trips back and forth to the car, just set up for the day. The kids, we're staying the day because this has taken a lifetime just to set up. So we set up. And I kind of, you know, get the kind of reef oil on and do what you do as, as a dad because all dads do that, yeah? No. Uh, and so I, I think I'm just going to sit down and relax and enjoy a little bit of sun, get into holiday mode. And no sooner I'd been sitting there for five minutes, the kids started. And they were going, I don't like the sand. She's kicking me. He's hurting me. I don't know. Punching me. Just kids being kids. And honestly, what I'm about to tell you, I'm not proud of. But I lost it. I was undignified. And I lost it. And I just, I just, I just lost control. And, and all that could come out of my mouth were these words. I can't believe it. I just thought I could come out. I, just, I, I didn't finish the sentence. I just kept repeating that over and over again. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I started packing up. Right, that's it. We're going home. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm kind of kicking sand. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, I'm making noise. and I'm basically picking a fight. I've, I've had enough. And I, I'm so grateful for two things that day. One, that no one took me up on the challenge for a fight. And I had an umbrella. I was ready to go. I was just like... <laughs> I was ready. I'm grateful that no one actually, you know, challenged me. The other thing I'm really grateful for is that Bondi Rescue were not filming that day. <laughs> Imagine that senior pastor. Oh, would not have been good. And I, I carried on right to the car and I'm in the car driving home. I've got sand, cake, oil, reef oil kind of, and just can't believe it. I can't believe it. And then we get home and, and I'm just like, oh, it just dawns on me. Just finally. I think I've done the wrong thing. It's just amazing how God speaks to you, you know. It's just... And then I've got this horrible, overwhelming sense of yuck. You ever had that as a parent? Well, let me tell you what else happened that day. Called our kids in. BJ was just a baby, so she didn't really get any of this. But Mitchie and Geordie uh, were definitely old enough to remember it. And I remember getting down to their level and say, hey, kids, what you saw me do today and what I did today was so wrong. And I'm so sorry. Will you please forgive me? I never get Mitchie's face. He's like, this. <laughs> I think it was a terrified response. <laughs> And then I did something that I would encourage every parent to do. Take off them what you've put on them. Because whether you know it or not, you've put something on them. Because they want to subconsciously, they know you're angry for a reason. And if you don't tell them what it is, they'll assume what it is. And they might assume it's the church. And so they'll have an attitude about the church. Or they'll think it's mum. And they'll start worrying about mum and dad not being happy and getting a divorce. And, or maybe they even think it's them. And so there I was at eye level and I said, kids, I want you to know something. This is not the church's fault. And this is not mummy's fault. I love your mum. She's awesome. She did not drive me to this. Kids need to hear you say that. I said, and it's not you guys. You guys are fantastic. You're little champions. This is dad just being stupid. This is dad being out of control. And I have no one else to blame but myself. Will you forgive me? You know, that moment could have been disastrous for us as a family. But that apology 
ended up bonding us. And we've grown through moments like that. As the family, so goes society. You're not always going to get it right. Own your mistakes. Don't blame your wife. Don't blame the church. Don't blame your kids. Take responsibility for your actions, even when they're not pretty. Never forget that night. Sitting at the table, and Mitchie just breaks the ice with this. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. So I knew healing had taken place, which is kind of just cool. We're about to enter into a time of dedicating these young ones. But let me just close with this fourth and final point. Give your kids permission to fail. Give your kids permission to fail. If you don't fail, you'll never become a success because it's part of the process. See, one of the big problems with parenting today is what we've called helicopter parenting. Just hovering over the kids, watching their every move, making sure they don't hurt themselves. And what it's breeding is a bunch of cotton wool kids. And for those of us who are involved in that, and I get it because we love our kids so much, and, and who wants to see your kid get hurt? No one wants to see your kid get hurt, but there's a learning process that takes place with us giving them a bit of space. And so for this, I would simply say this, three things, risk more. See, the common mistake is that we don't risk enough with our kids. OH&S regulations state that for those of us born in the 50s, 60s or 70s, we should not be alive. Why? Because we rode our bikes without helmets, we drove cars without seatbelts, we had bottles that uh, we could open, they didn't have childproof locks. There's lots of things that we did. We, we ate sour sobs, we ate grubs, we ate dirt. We weed on the sour sobs, then ate them. It tasted, we, we did all that, we're still here. We went in go-karts down hills fast again with no helmet. We're still here. Sometimes we just overprotect our kids and they've lost the resilience that they need in order to move forward. And when we protect them and overprotect them and try to stop them from failing, they now have a fear of doing normal things. We have kids today that don't know how to and are afraid of filling out forms and getting their driver's license and some of those basic mundane things because we've been too overprotective of our kids. I would say this, let them do dangerous things, not sinful things. You know, I remember Mitchie loved climbing trees and he only had one hand because he was born that way, but he just loved climbing trees. And we just let him climb trees. And often he'd get up the top and he just couldn't get down. I said, well, Mitch, you got up there, you can get down. And he always made his way down. You've got you to take your hands off, let them do some dangerous things. Stop the helicopter parenting. A hundred years ago, people lied about their age so they re could um, represent their country and go to war and give their lives freely as a sacrifice. Come on, let's not be overprotective. Let's rescue less. Rescue less. A common mistake we make with kids is that we rescue too quickly. We do their homework when they're struggling. Why? Because we don't want them to look bad. We don't want them to feel bad. And we do for them what they should be doing for themselves. Let's not rescue too quickly. One thing I love about the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son is that the father welcomed him home, but he never went and rescued him. Because there's a process that takes place in lessons in life that are learned. You know, we had a situation in our cafe midweek recently. Some young kid burnt his roof of his mouth on a pie. 
And as a result, they wanted compensation from us as a church. We've had to pay money, part of the compensation, because this little darling burned himself. Well, I don't know about you, but anyone my age and older, put your hand up if you've ever burnt your roof of your mouth on a pie. I did it every other week. And Dad would always say, that'll teach you. They were in the good old days when we had things called accidents. They were just accidents. It was no one's fault. It just happened. And the last thing I would say is this. Reward occasionally. We've made the common mistake amongst our kids of rewarding too frequently. I don't know if you ever saw the scene or remember the scene in the first Incredibles movie. And there was Bob, the dad, Mr. Incredible. And they were getting ready to go out. And he was really upset. He said this. It's not a graduation. He's moving from fourth grade to fifth grade. <laughs> Remember that? And Helen, the wife, said, it's a ceremony. And Bob, Mr. Incredible, replies, it's psychotic. They keep creating new ways to celebrate mediocrity. And later on, there's another scene in the same movie where Helen, again, the mum, says to her son, Dash, everyone's special, Dash. To which Dash responds, which is another way of saying, no one is. When everyone's special, no one's special anymore. Everyone's just special becomes a new normal. Uh, I remember when I was very young and I had my first year of soccer, I started a little bit later than most of my friends. They started under six. I started a couple of years later and I was terrible. Had no idea what I was doing. And I never forget, as the year went on, I improved. And at the end of the year, I got this little medallion. I've still got it. It's that big. And on the back it has my name, Tony Rainbow, and it says, most improved. And there was a definite improvement. I mean, I was really bad. I couldn't get any worse, let's be honest. But I knew I definitely improved. I was the only person that got a medal that year. It meant something to me. I earned it. I worked really hard to get average at soccer. It was really... (laughs) And it meant something. Now, every kid gets something. Just for turning up, you get trophies this big. You know, what's that for? I just, I just played for a season. Just. And we reward. And, and the problem is with that is we start to take things for granted and there's no appreciation. Easy come, easy go. And so I would say in all of these things, when it comes to raising families, we've all got a part to play. There's an incredible book called The Bible that has some incredible helpful things to say about raising families, and we all have a part to play, whether we're younger here today, whether we're middle-aged, or whether we're that bit older, because as the family, so goes society. And if you're in the grandparenting age, you have an incredible opportunity to share your wisdom and share your knowledge, and even maybe make yourself available to a little bit of babysitting time. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 